welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast, a podcast for farmers and ranchers ready to shift for a stronger future. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful are not. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, you'll hear how producers of all sizes and practices are moving mountains for things they believe in, all in the name of an industry that keeps growing and innovating for a stronger food system and stronger farm families. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to discuss where producers are finding success, challenging the status quo, striving for better, and keeping our heritage alive, all while producing the food we depend on. Welcome back to Farming on Purpose. I'm so excited today to have Callie Williams here with me. Callie is, um, a lot of you may know her as the Millennial Rancher. And we are excited to get to talk to you today, Callie, and learn more about what you guys are up to. Uh, So Callie is originally from Aurora, South Dakota, and now lives near Mitchell with her husband, Tate, and their two sons, Jack and Tommy. And Callie grew up on a small cow-calf operation was very involved in everything that went into that and then was also involved in 4-H and FFA. And I'm going to let Callie share with you how she and her husband met and what that love story has looked like. Um, But after getting married, they bought their, well, the weekend you got engaged was when you purchased your acreage, which I bet that was an eventful week for you guys. Um, And then you guys are now selling Angus Bulls private treaty private treaty and have started your own online bull sale that you started in 2021. So that's just kind of the first part of the story. Um, Fill in the gaps. Tell us what you guys have been up to and what that journey was like as you've been going along on it. Yeah. So first off, thank you so much for asking to visit with me today. I was really excited for this opportunity. Um, It's always fun to kind of dive in and share a little bit more about life as millennial ranchers and life as first generation ranchers. Um, The more we talk about it, the more questions we get. So that's kind of been an eye opener. Um, So Tate and I will kind of backtrack a little bit. Tate and I met at the South Dakota State Fair. Um, It's going to go down in history that his pickup line was, will you show my heifer? And I'm like, that is just true South Dakota romance right there. (laughs) Um, So we met, like I said, at the fair in uh, the the no longer open barn, the beef barn. Um, But I showed his Angus heifer for him. So it is true that cattle have been a part of our story from day one and particularly Angus cattle. Um, And so, like I said, we met at the state fair and then, um, you know, dated for a few months in the weekend that Tate proposed. The first thing we did when we flew home from our trip where he had proposed was go straight to the FSA office to sign the loan on the paperwork to purchase our acreage. So I also joke with that one that he just needed a co-signer. He needed someone to be his financial partner. (laughs) Um, But that just goes to show, you know, what it takes to be first generation millennial ranchers. Um, You're investing the minute you say I do or the minute you say yes. (laughs) Um, you're investing in your future. Absolutely. So you guys have made a lot of progress since then. What have you guys been doing on the operation? What's that journey looked like? 
there were a lot of, we'll call it learning curves slash growing pains uh, since we moved here. So this acreage was that we were able to purchase. Um, first off, we were very fortunate to be able to purchase this acreage. Um, that is something I can't stress enough because I know not everyone gets that opportunity to purchase directly from another couple. Uh, this particular couple was looking to move to town as they were getting older. Um, and it was a family friend of my husband's that he had helped out for years. And we were very fortunate that A, we got the opportunity to even consider it and B, that we were able to make it work. Um, and so we purchased the acreage from them and it was previously a farrowing operation. So cattle had never lived here before meaning we had a lot of work to do in order to convert the farrowing barns and the short fences to calving barns and fences that can keep cows in. <laughs> um, so our first year here, you know, it was a new home for not only us, but for the cows too. Uh, we had to learn, you know, what areas of the acreage um, it would not be a good site for a corral site because that's where water would flow or, you know, muddy areas, things like that. Or in the winter months, you know, where the where the snow packs, where um, would be a good spot to put a barn up for the calves to have a shelter. Um, so there were a lot of in those first couple of years just learning more about the acreage itself. Mm -hmm. And then for me to coming from my parents' cow-calf operation, I could have told you generations worth or years of lineage of their cows. And then joining my husband's cow-calf herd, I didn't know anything with his cows. I felt like I was starting from scratch. So learning about them, learning how to work with them, and then learning how to work cows, you know, with my husband, that's, it's a new business partner. Um, so those are all kind of the growing pains, I'll say, in the beginning. Um, but since then, we have really focused on, um, you know, what direction we want our genetics to go um, as a team. You know, where do we see T.W. Angus in the future? Um, we had previously sold our bulls via private treaty and there were four or five bulls that we sold each year. And now um, this spring will be our third online bull sale. And we're shooting to have roughly 20 lots on that sale. So just gradually growing our numbers, gradually expanding that customer base and trying to promote um, not just our genetics, but also get our name out there too. So hopefully our kiddos, if they decide to be a part of this in the future, people know, you know who T.W. Angus is. That is so special. We talk a lot about the future of operations and what it looks like for when the kids, if they want to be involved, what that'll look like for them. And I think the way that you guys are putting in the work now to make sure that they have options and a brand that is known is really doing a lot of the work up front for them. So that's great. They'll be, they'll have their own challenges to deal with when that time comes, I'm sure. So it's, it's good to take the, the things that you can take off the plate now. Definitely. We joke all the time that, you know, as first generation ranchers are putting in all the work so that hopefully they can do this. Yep. <laughs> we might, we might not get anything out of it um, in the long run, you know, financially. And that's why we both have our full-time jobs to support this, but we hope that it's at least an option then on the table for the two boys. Yeah, absolutely. That's the same way my husband and I approach that um, is his, the generation, sorry, the land that we are on now has been in his family for many generations. And it has been bought by each generation. 
that continues on to have it. So that's our goal is to not have a family member have to buy the same set of land again. Right. Um, Because, you know, when when that happens, the only person that's benefiting is the bank. It's not any of the family, but right. um, So that's really cool. I'm very curious about the how the transition from the farrowing operation to the cattle went. We tore down several old hog barns on the previous property we we were on before. Um, So I'm sure that was interesting. Tell us the details of how you retrofitted or didn't retrofit, remodeled. How did all that go? So we have not had to tear down any barns, which has been... um, really exciting that we could keep everything where it was. The barnyard is a little tight um, for what we would like to do, just considering, you know, they had farrowing barns right next to each other for the most part. But um, we have kind of built our, um, for the calving season, you know, some pens around the smaller barns. So then they are honestly the perfect size uh, for calving sheds. So just for the calves themselves. So once, you know, the calves are a few weeks old and they need a place or not even a few weeks, but a few days old. And in those winter months need a place to go, not with the cow. It's a great resource to have. So those small buildings are already there. Um, the previous owner did have a large barn that we converted to our calving barn, but the alleyway that was in the middle, it was the alleyway, the wood planks that were right down the middle were roughly up to my hip. So when you have a calving cow in there who her brisket or, you know, her head is for sure head on with you, that did not work. <laughs> so we had to make a few adjustments there. Everything was just shorter. Um, and then another thing that I was grateful for is my husband works full time for his family business, which Williams Masonry is a commercial uh, masonry business. And so his ideas for some of these additional fairway barns that we are just utilizing for storage right now um, is to lift them up on blocks. Um, And so then we would be able to, if our boys decide to show cattle in 4-H, we can convert one of those to a barn that we could use for prepping show cattle. Very cool. So your oldest is just getting close to that time now soon. Is he, you mean to have interest? Is it looking like he's going to try, give it a try? So we take cattle out to the Black Hill Stock Show, and he's very interested in that side of things. He really likes the idea of showing bulls, which, you know, for 4-H, that won't be an option. But um, I really hope that they want to be involved in 4-H. And my parents are itching for the boys to start. (laughs) So I think between myself and then, you know, grandparents that are pushing it, (laughs) um, hopefully they want to get involved in 4-H. It's just such a great program, regardless which route they take, whether it's showing or other activities. I think 4-H is in the future for sure. Very cool. And you mentioned that you had been active in 4-H and FFA um, when you were younger, what kind of things did you get involved with in that? And do you think that that had any like impact on how you approached things when you and your husband got started? So I was involved with 4-H um, for showing cattle. So everything that we raised is what I showed. Um, started at that entry level at age eight um, and then showed up until, you know, graduation year at 18. And then I continued showing cattle through um, junior shows at that um, specific breeds. And then um, in FFA, I dabbled in ag sales and that's kind of where 
between egg sales and speaking, that's kind of where I found a little bit of a passion. I really enjoyed that. And then I was the uh, first female president in our FFA chapter. And that's also where I kind of decided, you know, this leadership stuff is, it's all right. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 4-H definitely played a role in learning, you know, to decide what's more important. Um, the kids that are in 4-H learn how to balance their time, how to choose, you know, what they want to do. They learn, obviously being on the farm, they've already learned the importance of taking care of livestock if they're in the show side of things. Um, but then they decide, you know, do I want to continue showing or do I want to go to town and do this sport or this activity or how can I juggle both? And I think we carry that on with us through our, our adult lives. Um, there's been many times where even as an adult, there's something fun we would like to go to, but you know, it's AI season or it's calving season and, um, you know, there's time to play another day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest impacts I see that FFA and 4-H experiences have on kids is just the understanding of the importance of record keeping. It's amazing. And I'm sure you run into this being part of a registered heard, which is you guys are registered. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's so much record keeping that goes into that. And not even if you're not a registered herd, just having records that you can look back on and see what things have changed or what you can learn about which cows are more productive than others. And that kind of thing is so valuable. It is. Yes. And I will, I will say as a kid, record keeping was not my favorite (laughs) for each. And now as an adult, you know, I enjoy it more just because like you said, you get to see so much out of it. You get to see who's producing, uh, you know, on what level. Um, And so record keeping is crucial. And especially in the purebred operation, you know, we have to uh, keep those records. Um, But just the other night we were working on our registration papers and things were going very smoothly. And then a few years ago, uh, I actually convinced my husband to change our tagging system from what he had first learned when he entered the beef industry to what I grew up with. And so we did kind of run into a bit of a snaggle. (laughs) (laughs) and some of our numbers colliding. But um, that was, again, the reason why you have those records. We were able to trace back um, two or three years ago to figure out, you know, who was who. And the records are crucial. Very much so. So um, I'm curious how that conversation went as you guys switched to a new system. Um, What what were you doing before and what is what are you doing now? How did that conversation go? So it actually took my my dad, so the father-in-law chiming in a couple times too uh, with his advice. <laughs> um, this conversation happened numerous times. Um, as I said, when I first started um, being around Tate's cows more, you know, I was starting from scratch and not knowing his cow herd. Uh, and I was trying to get to, to know them better, but I did not know his tagging system after knowing, you know, only my family's tagging system and then knowing a ranch that uh, my family was involved with knowing their tagging system, which was fairly similar. And so my husband was using both the tattoo for the year that the cattle were born within his tag, as well as the first letter of like what the sire would be Mm -hmm. um, so that he could remember just instantly who everything was sired by. 
And that would throw me off. And I am not one to remember, you know, which letter corresponded with which year. And at my family's operation, uh, the way that we tag is the first number on the tag represents the year that that animal was born. And so then it's really easy looking at them to know, you know, what year they were born or how many calves they, you know, should have had that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we put the sire up in the top of their ear tag. We'll have um, some kind of a code or an abbreviation for that. Um, And so we did, I did get him converted to that, but (laughs) it is, like I said, there was just a little overlap from his previous numbers to catching up with our new tagging system. And so we had to uh, identify some things there, but We're we're making progress. Yeah. It's good when you can dive into the nitty gritty of that kind of stuff and just hear what other people do. Because like you said, like every operation has their own kind of way of doing it and it works really well or there might be something out there that works better. You never know. Right. And that's one of those conversations where, you know, you have to step back and remember when you're talking, you you know, we are husband and wife, but when we're talking about things for the cattle business, we're partners too, you know? So the conversation may get a little more heated or may get a little more, you know, this is my opinion and your opinion, but that's not as husband and wife, that is as business partners, you know, because it's, it's for the cows, it's for the future of TW Angus and, um, but you know, you still take things a little personally because you want to win that conversation. (laughs) Yeah. But you guys have been AIing. Did you start out doing that from the very beginning or is that something you've switched to over time? We have always AI'd and my husband was actually trained um, for So he knows how to AI, which is another thing that helps us financially, uh, that he can do it himself. We don't have to hire someone to come out, also saves time. Um, And so that's uh, very beneficial. So we AI everything on our place and then um, utilize uh, Cleanable once they go to summer pastures. I'm so glad you could join us today. You can support the mission of the Farming on Purpose podcast and be part of the tribe dedicated to building ag legacies at farmingonpurpose.com shop. You'll find apparel, office supplies, stickers, planners, and more, all inspired by the people living out ag legacies every day. Um, well, those are things you guys have been working on. I know on the other end of the spectrum, the marketing end, there's a lot that you guys have changed over time as well with how you market your steers. Can you talk a little bit about what that journey has been like? Yes. So uh, like I mentioned in the beginning, when we first started selling bulls, there were only four or five bulls that we were offering, meaning we had a handful of steers to sell each fall. Um, so we would take them to the sale barn and It just felt year after year that we weren't necessarily getting the price that we thought that they were worth. Um, And so we kind of stepped back and thought, you know, we need to do something. What can we do to help ourselves out here? Um, We didn't have enough steers for order buyers to necessarily be filling those orders. And so we understood that and we knew that they weren't going to be the higher valued cattle, even though, you know, like I said, we thought that they were... They look great um, and we we were proud of what we brought to town. Um, and it was around that time that we had been feeding a couple steers each year, you know, one just so we could personally have beef at home and then also for uh, families locally who would buy beef shares from us. So those quarters or halves and people were requesting smaller amounts of beef. 
And so we decided, well, let's try feed out a few more cattle or a few more steers and we will have some steers processed under inspection so that we can offer smaller beef bundles and then we could offer, you know, steaks via a la carte. So if somebody has, you know, a group coming in and they just want to serve all these steaks, but not, not necessarily run to the grocery store for them, we can be that supplier. Um, so we started that in 2022. And we just kind of dabbled in it that first year. And so we we had two steers processed under inspection and it went phenomenally well. We were just overjoyed with how well that went, um, kind of blown away, to be honest. And we ran out of beef much quicker than we anticipated, which made us nervous, too, because we we were very happy to have those customers, but we didn't want to lose them because we were out of beef. Mm-hmm. Um, but fortunately, everyone waited until <laughs> this year. Um, and so we doubled the amount of steers that we had on feed, both for our beef share customers and our retail beef. Very neat. That's not a small change to make to your system. What was that like? No, no. Uh, So we fortunately we had the pen space um, and a little background, too, is my dad is a ruminant nutritionist. Um, So we really enjoy, you know, having him as part of the team. It just feels like we're, you know, circling him into our operation, too. So that's been fun. And then my mom worked. uh, She's retired now, but she worked with the animal industry board as a meat inspector and a food compliance officer. Um, So it just feels like I am back in both of their worlds. Um, And then just me personally, I enjoy doing the marketing and the beef promotion. So it feels like a really um, a full circle family project. Um, So like I said, we expanded on, you know, the bunk space and we um, had a wait list already for those beef shares. So we are comfortable um, expanding the number of steers that we were feeding. Um, And with the inspected beef, we said, well, you know, it, it went well last year. So let's Let's amp it up. Let's keep going. Yeah. A lot of folks that decide to dabble in direct-to-consumer beef, you have a slower start. You know, it takes a little bit of time to get that clientele built up and figuring out having that consistent supply like you guys have had struggled with as well is hard. Do you have any advice to folks who are kind of getting started in that realm? Uh, The first thing I would do is, you know, make sure that you have that customer base first. So then you know how many steers that you should be feeding. Um, It still kind of blows me away when people will send a message, hey, can we get a quarter of beef thinking that we can just have one ready tomorrow. (laughs) And so just kind of explaining that. And there's a lot of education that takes place in, you know, having those conversations with consumers, but um, also the advice of, you know, looking into those locker dates. It's still um, the lockers that we use. It could be, you know, six months to a year out of getting those locker dates. Um, So there's a lot of homework that goes into it there and planning that goes into it. Um, But just making sure that, you know, A, your customer base is ready um, and making and communicating that when your beef is ready, they'll have the room. Because that can be an issue too. Sometimes they're not willing to wait or they forget. Um, and then making sure, you know, that the facilities are ready. Um, also storage, make sure you have your storage um, ready, deep freezers. I know they're also kind of um, in demand still, it sounds like. So, um, but also, I mean, it's worth trying. It's people want to get their beef directly from ranchers. Do you ever feel 
or worry about competition on that front. I know a lot of folks that do or think about doing direct to consumer beef. They're like, well, it's kind of like selling water to the ocean. If you live in a rural area where there's beef everywhere um, and there's folks that, you know, will try and dabble in it and they'll post like in a Facebook group with beef priced way lower per pound than what you can afford to offer it at if you're trying to make a profit or pay the bills. How do you feel about those kind of things? I will say I'm not intimidated by it, I guess. Um, I'm, we're very fortunate for the customer base that we have. And I mean, we have done the math over and over on what you know, what we need to sell our before. And then also we know the value too. Um, and so we just hope that it goes well for the other producers. And we do hope that more ranchers are willing to offer their product, but you know, the product speaks for itself too. Um, and that's something we just kind of have to trust. And like I said, we just have so much passion for what we are doing from step one of raising the steers here and feeding the steers here and then being able to see that finished product. And this year we added that extra value of going in and grading each steer as well. And so that was a fun little touch too. Um, so I, I really hope that people just see, you know, how much we have invested into it um, and sharing our story. But um, as far as competition, um, it's kind of fun to see what other people come up with, especially seeing other breeds expand too. Um, it's everybody has different ways of brand, branding um, their own products. Absolutely. I think it's just one of those things that you have to try it and figure out if it's going to work for your operation. You can't let things like that stand in your way if, if that's something that you want to do. Like you said, make sure the clients are there and then go for it. Exactly. And another way to look at it is, I mean, in our um, area of the world, how many bull sales are there for right. months on end? So, I mean, competition is good. <laughs> it is. Everybody does things their own way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, Callie, I know having your kids involved and figuring out what the future of the operation looks like is a big deal. You have mentioned that you feel like you've gotten a ton of support as you guys have gotten started being the first generation. Do you, is that something that's been unique to you guys because of your families or is that the community? What kind of support have you guys gotten as you've grown? Uh, we've been very supported by both of our families. Um, so my parents having that cow-calf operation, they are personally, you know, tied down to their operation, so they can't necessarily sneak away. Um, so they may not physically be here all the time to help, but they are always offering advice. They are always willing to, you know, do anything they can to help us because they they are just as excited to see us in ag as anyone. Um, and then, you know, we go home as much as we can to help them with their cattle. Um, um, I mean, I'm the only, I'm the only child, so I feel very drawn to get there more than I can. Um, now that we have cows and kids, it's really hard for us to leave too, but they are so incredibly supportive and dad offering the advice with nutrition. I mean, having a built-in nutritionist is huge. <laughs> oh, that is, um, just remarkable to have on hand, I guess. <laughs> I don't realize how spoiled I am with that. Um, and just having their support has been phenomenal. And then we are about five miles away from my husband's parents. Um, they do not live on an acreage, uh, don't really have that 
ag background necessarily, um, but they lend a hand any way they can. Um, my father-in-law is might be the handiest person I know and a really hard worker. And so that man will be out here just doing odds and ends jobs, never says no. Um, it's on never fails. You know, the winter storms come in and we have all this prep to do and he's here helping. He is always lending that hand. And whether you ask or not, he is here just hauling our cows to corn stalks yesterday. He was driving the other truck and trailer. Like I could have been in that other truck and trailer and saved him half a day, but he insisted on tagging along and helping. So those kinds of things are so, we appreciate the support and um, it's the little things that really add up. And then another thing that I think it's because maybe as first generation ranchers or maybe because of, you know, being involved with the community, I'm not sure. Um, The neighbors have been, so wonderful to us. Um, one crop farmer this year, he offered us a small area next to us that we could bale his corn stalks and use the bales for bedding. I mean, we just had to physically do the work and then the bales are ours. And that is so generous. Yeah. Um, so just people like that, um, the first couple of years, you know, you don't ask for help. It's really hard for all of us to ask for help. I think that's built within us Midwesterners, especially. Um, but just keeping that optimistic attitude. And I think we've been here long enough now that people know no matter what happens, we're not going to leave. We're not going to quit. And I think that's why these lending hands have been reaching out to us. Yeah. I think it's something really special about rural communities. It, it- they can get a bad rap for having kind of an offstandish thing to new people in the community or young people wondering if they're going to stay. But once you prove that, yes, you're here for the long run, they really open up their arms and welcome you in. So that's awesome. You guys have so much support on that front. Um, Is that something that you guys well, plan to always have? Is that something that if if they get to the point where they're not able to help in those ways anymore, as, as our parents get older, you'll have to hire out or bring more help on? Or how's that look? That's a conversation we've had. Um, we So my husband would like to continue working for his family business full time for the foreseeable future. Um, I am fortunate that with my career, I work from home. So, you know, during calving season, if I need to run out and check cows or assist cows, like I'm here to do that and to run the kids and all those kinds of things. But um, with our goals of wanting to grow our numbers within the cattle herd, a hired hand will most likely need to happen. Um, when I don't know, <laughs> um, but that is something that we think will be part of our future. Um, just because like you said, with, uh, both of our parents aging, um, and then with my parents and their cattle operation, we don't necessarily know what that looks like in the future. If, you know, their cattle would stay there or if, um, their cattle would eventually move down here. Um, that's a conversation that has been taking place, um, or, you know, how to utilize their pasture ground, those kinds of things. So um, additional help will be needed. We just don't know who's going to fill that role yet. Yeah. Those next steps conversations are so hard and it's, it's so nice when you can kind of have them over the course of time instead of it happening all at once is, you know, like something. So it's so good when you can start now and like at least have ideas for what that looks like down the road. 
And my parents are fortunate. They're located near uh, SDSU, so South Dakota State University. And so um, my dad, having been a professor there, still has some connections. And um, some graduate students have been willing to help you know, during chores, um, you know, if he needs to travel, cause he is still, you know, traveling all over for speaking engagements or work events, um, as well as, you know, if there, let's say if there's an injury on the farm or something, there are resources on campus. They are close enough that, uh, that makes me feel much more comfortable knowing that we have people there that could be there quicker than I could. Yeah. Definitely. Um, well, you've mentioned a couple of times that both you and your husband work full time, um, having that off farm income when you are getting started. I don't know how folks do it any other way, honestly, in this mm-hmm. Um, What has that been like juggling the full time careers and building the farm at the same time? So previously I had an office job. Um, So like during calving season, those calf checks only took place over my lunch hour. And those calving seasons were not our best years. Um, Those calves get a slower start. You know, if we missed something, um, we didn't have calving cameras. That was another investment, you know. Um, So when I was able to find a career that allowed me to work from home and have that flexibility, that was a huge step forward for our operation. Um, calving season goes much smoother. Um, just being around the cattle more makes a big difference. And then when I had that office job, my husband, when it would be the really busy part of our calving season, he would end up taking two to three weeks off of work to be here. Um, and on the days that he was busy with calves, it was worth it. But then on the days when nobody decided to calve, you know, that was a day where he wasn't getting paid. So it was that balance of, you know, this isn't working when you're having to take two to three weeks, sometimes maybe a month off of work to be here, depending on what the weather was like. Um, Cause we calve late January to, you know, like that first week of March. Mm-hmm. So it can be brutal. Um, so the off the farm jobs are necessary. Like you said, we need them in order to financially support this. Um, but having that flexibility was crucial. Yeah. The amount of opportunity that has opened up, I think, for, you know, farm wives or folks who are needed at home, but also would like to have some income coming in to support the operation is amazing. Like, honestly, 2020 brought so many bad things to our nation and to our culture. But I think that remote and flexible work is one of the good things that's going to come out of that, especially for people in rural areas. I agree. And we've had that conversation many times too. And we've, you know, visited about how there's so many things that I don't know how we would do it, especially, you know, in the hot summer months that over lunch hour or what I dedicate to myself as lunch hour being here, I'm hauling water to cows in the pasture or in the, and I can do that much quicker being physically here versus if I was in town, you know, that would take up half an hour just for the commute. Yeah. Um, And so it has just benefited us in such a vast way, um, it has really helped us out. And it saves us so much more time than our evenings aren't spent, you know, doing everything in the dark. We're able to come, I mean, you're still out there, how late, but you're able to come in a little bit sooner. Um, We see the cows in the daylight more than we used to. And I remember my dad saying that once he retired, um, he said, I get to see my cows in the daylight now. And it's wonderful. (laughs) So I feel very spoiled that at age 32, I have a career that I get to see her cows in the daylight. 
That is awesome. And it makes such a huge difference as far as just like managing your own personal well-being, I think, at least for me. It's I mean, it, it can get to be quite the grind when you're working full time off the farm and then coming home and trying to make sure all the stuff gets done, doing it in the dark. You're like, I don't. And especially if you find a bad situation when you're checking in the dark and then you don't know what your next five hours is going to look like. And then you have to get up for work in the morning. So it makes such a huge difference to to have that flexibility. It does. Flexibility. Um, I've talked about this with my parents. Flexibility pays more than you can ask for in a salary. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, What has been some of your hacks, tips, tricks to managing it all? Because you're working, you're doing the cattle, the ranch, you have the kids, you've got a lot on your plate and you're sharing a lot online too. So how are you getting it all done? So right next to me is my nice steno pad. (laughs) I am a list person through and through. Um, I have to do that. And then I'm also a planner person. I mean, I have everything written down. If I see it, I will remember it. That's that's first off how I stay organized, I guess. Um, There are there are phases. you know, you feel like you're drowning a little bit, um, but I think communication is huge. So on those days, you know, I, if I have to visit with someone about it, that helps um, getting that out there. Cause then, you know, maybe it's something that once I verbalize it, I realize it's, it, you know, it's not an A, it's a, it's a C or a D. Um, but then also um, we have a great daycare that our kiddos go to. So I'm very thankful for that. That allows me to have those office hours to crank out my projects and my work and to get things done. Um, Sharing online, that's something that I've also had to learn to balance time-wise. I put my phone in another room when I need to do my, you know, my, my actual work. So I am not referencing that and I'm not distracted by that because social media whether you're scrolling it or whether you're trying to do um, social media for the sake of sharing the things that you're doing on your ranch, it is so time consuming. Um, So making sure that I am utilizing my time as well as I can, that has been a learning curve. And working from home, that took a while to figure out how to balance those things. Yeah, you definitely have to know where your priorities lie at each specific point in the day to make that. Mm-hmm. You do. And that's even gotten to the point working from home. I know I'm not going to be able to walk away from some of the household projects. And so it's gotten to the point where I dedicate certain days to certain projects. And mm-hmm. that's just the way um, it has to go if I'm going to stay on top of everything else. <laughs> that's really smart. I think I saw on Instagram, and I can't remember who it was page or profile it was, but that they said that they do specific days of the week for different household tasks. Like Monday is laundry day. Tuesday is like Mm -hmm. other, you know, like just naming it, I think makes it less overwhelming and less likely to get distracted by all the other things that need done. Yes. And I mean, there's weeks where if you have something going on, I mean, you have that flexibility to change, but if you assign a chore to a specific day, it just kind of gets engraved in your brain that all right, this is that day for this chore. And then it, it's, it's done. <laughs> you already know what's supposed to happen. Yeah. It takes away some of that decision-making process, which is something that has always impacted me. And I never really knew that it was, I don't know if you're similar, but that decision fatigue, having routines to kind of combat that because you, you might be making 
hundreds of decisions in a day between work and kids and family and the cows. And it just, it gets very overwhelming. So taking the ones out of your life that you can helps a lot. Exactly. Exactly. And time blocking. Um, I utilize that too. Um, I think, I think everyone does to an extent. Um, but I really like using time blocking for both, um, personal and full-time job and the cattle. Um, I also time block in the summer months for when I'm going to get my walks in. Um, that's when I try to catch up on podcasts or just get a little time to myself for my mental health, get that fresh air. Um, that's another thing. This career has allowed my mental health to just bloom. Um, I'm in a place that I didn't know I missed from pre uh, motherhood. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but just being home to be more around the cows and have that fresh air more often um, has been very beneficial. And mental health is in a place where I am uh, much more confident and I feel much healthier in that regard. That's incredible. It's amazing what a little taste of more of what you love can do for you. It is. It is. Well, the last question I have for you today, Callie, is um, what's got you fired up lately? What's been running through your mind that you can't get out of your head? I think a lot of us get stuck on things like that sometimes, or we think about it and it just doesn't go away. Um, And I love when people can share those things and more of us can be thinking about them. So what's that for you lately? Oh, goodness. So I'm fired up because it hit me how close Thanksgiving is. Um, so it's not really a hot topic necessarily, but um, my mother is hosting. So this is something I also love about both sides of my family. Um, my mother is hosting all of my in-laws for Thanksgiving. Um, so I don't know if that happens very often, but it's going to be so much fun that all of Tate's siblings along with their spouses and kids are all going to my mom and dad's farm. Um, and so I actually just started that group text today of what dishes is everyone bringing? Um, I am the baker of the family and I think I have brought the same holiday desserts since I've known this family. I've just kind of rotated between holidays and this is the year to try something new. Um, And I realized I need to figure that out because the following week I have my first speaking engagement. Um, So yes, I'm very excited. So it is, I'll be speaking at the South Dakota Cattlemen's Convention up in Watertown. I'm very excited for that opportunity. Um, But baking is also my stress reliever. So I keep (laughs) reminding myself I get to bake slash prep my speech. (laughs) Good. That'll be good. Well, we'll have to watch online to see if you share what you end up making for your new recipe. I love um, this time of year because I also love to bake and try out new things. Um, I'm not very good at it. I burn a lot of stuff, but I love the process of just trying to figure out, you know, what everybody is going to really enjoy and love at the next potluck. I think baking is a form of art. It is a stress reliever and just the step-by-step, yeah, whether it burnt or not. <laughs> it's an art project. So yes. very fun. So if anybody has any ideas, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I um, I just visited a farm last week, two weeks ago. I don't know. Um, And they are an apple orchard, which a little different for our part of the world. But he was talking about the recipe that they love to make. It was like caramel, pecan, apple pie or like crisp. And I was like, that just sounds 
so good. I'm not usually it's like so delightful. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I want to make that just because it sounds good. But that does sound good. All baking. Can't beat it. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for being here today, Callie, and sharing what you guys are working on and what your journey has been like. I think we could talk a lot longer about <laughs> what's next for you guys. But um, do you just want to let us know where folks can find you if they want to learn more and maybe what to expect from you here in the next coming months? Yes. So feel free to follow us on Facebook or on Instagram actually is where we share a majority of, you know, the behind the scenes at the ranch, as well as any special bundles that we have at the time for TW Angus Beef. Uh, so my profile is just Callie, C-A-L-L-I underscore Williams. Um, otherwise, we recently launched our website. It is twangus.com. Um, you are unable to directly order on that website, but you can see the bundles, all of our steak options, read a little bit about our ranch um, and about our family. And then from there, you can contact me directly and just uh, let us know your order. We deliver to Brookings and Sioux Falls on a monthly basis, as well as the Mitchell area as needed. So um, for exciting things in the future, we recently had an event at our ranch and that was just testing the waters. We hope to have more events in the future. So stay tuned for hopefully more dates to release. Yeah, exciting. I saw your post on Instagram about that. It looked so fun. So we really enjoyed it. It was fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and maybe we'll chat again sometime in the future to see what new things you've cooked up. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Lexi. Thank you. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or join the conversation on social media. Do you have a topic you would like to discuss or know someone with a story to share? Apply to be a guest on the podcast at farmingonpurpose.com. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, on your favorite social media platforms for more content by searching for Farming on Purpose. And remember, if you look around your table and aren't inspired by the people there, it's time to find a new seat.